Welcome to Scheduled for Two Falls with Kieran and Niall, the wrestling podcast where we break down the industry one topic at a time. Welcome back to Scheduled for Two Falls. Two Falls. Hello, Kieran. How are you? I'm great. I had a pretty decent 10 days, I think, since we recorded last. How about yourself? I think so. Yeah, pretty decent as well. Um, I think things are slowly starting to get back to a bit of normal life. Are you talking about COVID-19? Are you talking about kidney stones? Well, look, kidney stones haven't... I haven't had any reaction with kidney stones in... At least ten days, so okay. I think I might be over that unless I get another attack. Uh, time will tell, though. Uh, but COVID as well, things here where I am seem to be getting back to, dare I say, a little bit of normality. Last week we spoke about, er, well, late eighties, early nineties tag team wrestling in the WWE, uh, or as it were, WWF. Uh, any feedback from last week's episode, Niall? Yeah, a lot of the feedback I got actually was um, just to do really with kind of nostalgia more than that and that. A lot of people had kind of contacted me saying that we brought back a lot of memories, things that they kind of forgotten over the years and um, really positive feedback actually. So that was that was pretty nice. Um, Debbie Walsh absolutely loved the demolition in, in Gimp Suits gag. And he just said we brought back a lot of great memories for him. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, uh, anything I have here. Al says that the pod is getting better and better each week. So that's always nice to hear that we're improving, if nothing else. Uh, and Michael I'd says... I'd like to think we are. <laughs> Michael says that he really enjoyed the tag team pod. Uh, on the social side of things, uh, we are on Twitter, scheduled for 2F1. Uh, that's scheduled for number two, F number one. And our email is scheduled for two falls at gmail.com. It's the number two. So scheduled for number two falls at gmail.com. Uh, Instagram, Niall? Uh, at scheduled for two falls. That's the number two. And then you can get us at just all letters, two falls. Two falls. Um, I'm going to be doing a big week on Instagram uh, uh, both promoting this episode, but also hyping up our tent episode coming up in, in, in about 10 or 12 days, Kieran. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Uh, our Twitter is now at 824 followers as of recording. So the road to 1,000 followers is on right now. So if you don't follow us on Twitter, we will really appreciate it. Uh, that's where a lot of people get their schedule for Two Falls news. Anyway, what are we talking about this week? This week, we are talking about what many people think is one of the most, I suppose, important or seminal rivalries in uh, modern wrestling history, the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, and Brett the Hitman Hart. Absolutely. Um, 
which ends in controversy. And I suppose we want to obviously address where this goes, but we don't want to dwell too much on Montreal and the infamous screw job because it's been it's been done. But I mean, <laughs> watching back on, it's, on it's when, impossible not to talk about uh, when when we look at these two. But at the same time, as you say, Kieran, like it's been flogged to death, really. Yeah, it has. But it's funny what watching back on it, it kind of. Um, I think I've been avoiding reading or watching anything on the screw job for years because of mm. overexposure. But and then watching back the '97 Survivor Series brought back a lot of memories so i really really enjoyed it but look let's 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 go back a little bit here first before we get there sean michaels michael hickenbottom he began to train under mexican professional wrestler jose lothario and uh, he would make his nwa mid-south wrestling debut in 1984 before teaming with marty Gennetti in the awa and as the Midnight Rockers before finally joining the WWF in 1987. And meanwhile, on a parallel journey, Brett the Hitman Hart began working for his father's Stampede Wrestling promotion in Calgary. And Hart uh, infamously at a 1978 event in Saskatoon, uh, a wrestler was unable to perform his match, forcing Stu Hart, his dad, to ask his son to stand in as a replacement. Before long, he was a regular on the Stampede Wrestling uh, promotion, and he would debut in WWE or F as it was in 1984. Two very different backgrounds in a way, but two very different characters, Niall. No, in terms of like uh, personalities, uh, even charisma, in-ring style, I suppose the philosophies they took to the business um, Brett being very old school, came from a wrestling family, brought up in the business, father was a promoter. And then Sean kind of being, I suppose, uh, particularly throughout the 90s, a renegade and trying to break away from tradition. Mm. So not only was this um, kind of had a coming together of two guys hitting their peak at uh, probably a, a fairly similar time, which we'll discuss in their matches, but also uh, we had this clash of two very different ideals of what the wrestling business itself should be. And, and that kind of fed into not just what we saw on screen, but the, the story backstage rivalry as well, leading to the, the infamous screw job in 97. Yeah, interestingly, they both uh, start their careers in tag team wrestling, uh, which, you know, it, 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 it's not the exact way. To, a lot of people did it, and then you break up and you go solo if you're the breakout star in the group. But it wasn't the way everybody started their career. And um when Brett was in the WWF teaming with Jim Hanville Nightheart as the Heart Foundation and they were they'd kind of steamrolled through the division and they were seen as you know this these technical geniuses in tag team wrestling and uh, Brett would say himself when he heard Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty were coming in he had seen a few of their matches in the AWA and he was very excited to get to work with them uh, because you know after a while that's what it's all about you you look at who's coming in you, you know I want to work with these guys these guys we can do money together we can do business together and ultimately it'll progress both of their careers uh, I think what's interesting as well Kieran, is that um you know, Bret Hart came into WWE mid-80s when it was uh, the land of the giants, really, you know, and he was an undersized kind of guy. And, you know, that parallels to Sean's journey as well. He came in as an undersized guy. And in, in that era, a lot of the undersized guys were using tag teams. So their kind of journey to the top mirrors each other in that sense as well, that when they both joined the company, that both of them would have been of the belief that they're never going to get to the top of this company. Uh, but I suppose the early 90s and, and the steroid trial totally change that and, and their ability as workers and getting over with the audience change that as well but 
you can see certainly in the early days of their uh, rivalry or their journey that um, there was a kind of a, a respect there between the two of them uh, in terms of the way they would have viewed the other as a, an in-ring worker and a performer. Mm. Yeah, so the way this this rolls, obviously they have their tag team feuds, and we're really going to concentrate on the '90s here. And they're you know they didn't come across each other too much on TV. They they fought each other a ton on house shows, but on TV there's pretty much only three or four important or big matches worth talking about. There was the 11th of September '89 match. There was the 23rd of April 1990 match, and then obviously the tag title match that didn't air, which we spoke about last week. Did you check out much of these matches or what were, what were your thoughts on the, the tag team matches before they break yeah, away? I, I thought, like in general, the tag matches, they were good, solid late 80s tag matches. Uh, I think, and this is kind of going to be a theme of what I talk about over the next couple of matches, but at this stage, Brett was a little bit further on in his element than Sean was. Uh, I thought Sean and Marty were a very exciting kind of um high-flying tag team, you know, almost like an early prototype maybe for the Hardys or Edge and Christian. And I, I think Marty Gennetti and Shawn Michaels probably don't get the credit they deserve for how exciting they were as a tag team. Yeah. Now, the matches themselves, I wouldn't have classed any of them as uh, classics by any stretch. They're all really fast-paced. They all only go about 10 minutes, so they are worth checking out. Uh, but the team's a great chemistry, and in particular Marty Gennetti is worth pointing out what a phenomenal worker he is because obviously everybody else would, would continue with a decent career or an amazing career in the in Brett and Sean. But like Jim did quite well as well. But Marty goes under the radar a little bit. And, you know, it, it is the chemistry with him and Sean, Brett and Jim Anvil. It's not just Brett and Sean, it's all four of them. And uh, yeah. I think it's just worth pointing out that Marty is a, a fantastic worker as well. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you on that. And, and the Rockers, in my opinion, we didn't really get into them a whole lot on the, the tag episode last week, but um, they're definitely underrated. Uh, but I suppose, you know, it's hard to classify those matches as being part of the, the kind of greater Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart story. Yeah, if we were to pick out one, I'd say the April 1990 tag match between both teams is great because it ends with Demolition coming down to interfere and all six teams get into an absolutely massive brawl and it's really entertaining. It's a total nostalgic overload. So if you're going to watch back one on the network, that would be my recommendation. Next up, Niall, we are flying towards July 92. This is the ladder match, the first ever WWE ladder match. Yeah, we spoke about this one in the past as well on the uh, uh, Brett's IC title episode. And, you know, in terms of like this first ever WWFE ladder match and like looking back at it from now with all the madness we've seen in ladder matches over the years, be it the um, TLC matches, Edge Christian, the Hardys and the Dudleys or even the Money in the Bank matches later on. This was such a basic match, but it told a very effective story. The ladder was used more sparingly than we see nowadays, um, yeah. but it was used in very smart and at the time, incredibly innovative ways. So like to look back on this match now, it's very hard to judge it in the context of 1992. Um, but like in terms of your, if you can try your best to look at it from the point of view of this had never been really done in, in the WWF before, it really is kind of an incredible achievement. 
Yeah. So the way this um, Brett and Jim Anvil, not they haven't really split up, but Brett has just gone solo. Uh, Sean and Marty have definitely split up because Sean super kicked him through Brutus the Barber Beefcake's uh, shop window. So they're definitely do. done. Uh, but Brett is, Brett's career is, is, you know, you could say it's always a year and a half or a year further down the down the road than Sean's because you know Brett becomes IC champ before Sean Brett becomes world champ before Sean and uh, Sean would say it in interviews later that one of the friction uh, points for him between himself and Brett was that he was constantly craving yeah. for Brett's approval and he never really felt he got it and you know Brett would say that he always enjoyed working with Sean but he just never felt Sean took it seriously enough so he was never going to give Sean that approval so mm. you know, that's really where this occurred. But we're, you know, the ladder match is a great showcase for the talent that they that that they both possess. Very, very different, but unbelievable chemistry. And uh, later later that year, um, Brett would win the world title. He'd win it off Ric Flair, and Sean would be positioned as a potential contender down the line because it's Survivor Series, nineteen ninety two, in a twenty six minute long match it's Brett versus Sean Sean is the IC champ because the British Bulldog was done for steroids and had to relinquish the belt or the belt was thrown onto Sean it was meant to be the Mountie versus Bulldog instead Sean was champ Brett was world champ so it's IC champ versus world champ it's a little bit convoluted because Brett can't lose uh, or Brett can't win the IC title he can only lose the world title uh, did you see this match now? Yeah um, and my First thing, I suppose, before we get into the match is we have another absolutely fantastic moment uh, just before the match starts with uh, Sean Mooney and Sean Michaels' interview backstage that Here I just we go. absolutely loved. Sean Michaels just tore into Sean Mooney, gave him all the grief in the world. Mooney just stood there and took it as usual. Mm. Uh, but Shawn Michael was blowing chewing gum bubbles in his face, you name it. I just thought it was great stuff. You want to talk history there, Sean Mooney? Let's talk a little history, okay? Who is the man that beat Bret Hart at SummerSlam for the Intercontinental title? Well, the British Bulldog. That's right. Now, who is the man that defeated the British Bulldog quite easily, I might add, to become... The new WWF Intercontinental Champion. Well, you did. Everyone That's knows. That's right, me. Now, for all you mathematical geniuses out there, one and one make two. Two belts. And, you know, it was strange. Like, you're looking at quite a young Shawn Michaels at this stage, and, and he's in a very, like, the early stages of developing the Heartbreak Kid character that would become absolutely iconic throughout the rest of the 90s. But, you know, this is kind of in the the work in progress stage and it was really interesting to see that it kind of bouncing off Sean Mooney in a pre-match promo yeah, I suppose it, it leads into a Brett promo and I give Brett a lot of stick for the early 90s promos this is just as bad as the other ones where he this, says this is the worst Sean Michaels you're a great wrestler you got all kinds of great moves and I got nothing but respect for you you're going to be a great intercontinental champion but Sean Michaels tonight we're going to find out who's going to survive as the World Wrestling Federation champion. And the excellence of execution is feeling pretty excellent tonight. <laughs> like, what does it mean? Yeah, yeah you know, you're, you're just off the back of like a, a seven, eight-year run of promos of Hogan and Macho Man as the world champ. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're utterly bonkers um, promos. Then to come to Brahart kind of fumbling his way through 
a quite a brisk promo is, is a weird look. But it kind of sums up that early 90s period of the reinvention that was taking place in WWF at the time. Yeah. The match itself, very technical. Sean following Brett's lead throughout. So you can see Brett calling it in the ring and leading the way. Uh, but a nice, they're two good dance partners and two guys with plenty of respect for each other at the time and obviously plenty of experience yeah. with each other after the Rockers Heart Foundation feuds. Uh, and Brett lets Sean shine. You know, Brett, this goes, you know, nearly goes, I suppose, including entrances. Yeah, like nearly goes half an hour, including entrances. And mm. Brett letting Sean shine is probably the biggest thing to take away from it but fantastic technical match and sean proves yeah. to me that he's the next top guy after brett yeah like um i i just thought both of them in this match were fantastic now i i in my mind when i look at the the brett sean rivalry i i kind of really think the the stuff from 95 96 97 um and this yeah. is kind of on, on the outside, I suppose, or on the outskirts of this rivalry. A little but teaser, Niall, for what's to come. A little teaser, exactly, Kieran. What you're watching here is it's the, the fact that these two were main event of Survivor Series in 92 when the bottom were not really seen, I suppose, as main event talent just quite yet was very interesting. But I think the two of them proved that at least in the ring, um, that Vince and, and the WWF could look forward to like a great business over the next four or five years with the two if they could do things right. It's interesting that you say that that you know they're two guys, although they're in the main event, you know they're only starting off. That they're kind of green for the main mm-hmm. event scene, and that's uh, that's absolutely uh, made clear by the WWF because the front cover of the Survivor Series '92 poster <laughs> yeah. doesn't have either of them. It has Matchman yeah. and Warrior against Razor and Flair, and then beneath it, it has. Uh, the big boss man versus nails it doesn't even mention that there's a world title match so it's very unusual but there was and that was it uh, it's kind of a match under the radar a little bit but uh, definitely worth watching I think but the next match Niall this is the one that I think everybody's waiting for this is the 1993 so one year later Survivor Series it's Sean and the Knights versus the Hart family it goes 30 minutes and 57 seconds and uh, it's meant to be Jerry Lawler, uh, but instead Sean has to tag in because Lawler had some major allegations to deal with in relation to underage girls. So he was pulled, obviously, from the card. Sean replaces. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know you love this one. This is, honestly, this is, when I read this, I don't remember this taking place in 93. I was six years of age and really only starting my love affair with wrestling. But in the research, that we did this week this is absolutely my most favorite thing that we came across <laughs> so uh there's a pre-match well just to explain what this is so this is sean and three masked knights so there's uh three guys wearing a blue a red and a white mask and yeah. uh he's up against Bret hart with his family and you know genuine his family's with own hart bruce hart and keith hart Bruce and Keith, who had retired from the wrestling scene by now. Uh, Bruce was a fireman, I think. Um, but anyway, it starts with a pre-match uh, interview with Todd Pettingale. Good to see Todd in here instead of Sean Mooney. HBK is kind of doing the standard stuff from the time. But they pull across then, and it's Keith, Bruce, Owen, and Brett interview. And uh, like Bruce and Keith are a fish out of water here. It's hilarious stuff. Um, they're all asked for a word. Keith doesn't have an ounce of charisma, and Bruce is just standing there in sunglasses doing absolutely nothing. 
it's yeah. uh it's the that pretty match interview alone is worth watching but um cuts then to i mean there's 20 hearts in the audience here it cuts to <laughs> yeah, yeah. cuts to the audience a real, ca- a real carny scene wasn't it oh it was ridiculous uh, marta and georgia hart kit and wayne hart and they're all in the audience helen gets a couple of boos for some reason when she's called out no idea why and uh, the pre-match stuff is uh, it's done by your man from family feud game show and it's awful stuff uh, like he goes on for about 15 minutes uh, with this crap that the audience are beginning to hate like you can see the crowd mm. are starting to turn against it the, but Vin- the match is dead on his feet before it even starts yeah but the one man who's absolutely loving all the bad jokes from the family feud guy and that's Vince, Vincent Kennedy McMahon he is loving it on commentary laughing away at everything and it's really totally his, his type of humour does that give us a, a decent pre-intro to this wonderful match? Yeah, I think so. And look, I always love matches where um, uh, somebody shows up with like mystery partners. And particularly if the mystery partners are masked, I love finding out who they are and what the big reveal is going to be at the end of the match. But did that, we get that, Kieran? We didn't get that, no. So, <laughs> we didn't the, get that. <laughs> so Niall's referring to the, to the Knights, Shawn Michaels' Knights. So it's a black a blue and a red knight, I think, is actually this. And the knights are <laughs> the, the major stars. <laughs> Greg the Hammer Valentine, you know, not bad. Barry Horowitz, yeah. one of the greatest jobbers in WWE history. And, Jeff, and Jeff Gaylord, who I don't know much about, but... Um, it was his only match, I believe, <laughs> ever in WWF. He was um, a USWA wrestler who had been a former tag team partner of Jeff, Har- Jeff Jarrett. They drafted him in for the night to stick on the the, the, the white mask and be one of Sean Sean um, Sean Michaels' white knights. Uh, it's just absolute bonkers stuff when you look at the names there. I, I'd say they just like pulled Greg the Hammer out the back and said, "Stick on that mask, you're wrestling." Exactly. Um, look, I know I, they had to cobble this together, but like, all, it's just mad, you know. But it is for it's it's a it's a hilarious match for a million reasons. But the mm. Family Feud guy, uh, he heads over to commentary and he sits with Vince and Bobby. He goes over to commentary. He he starts talking and commenting like he's Jim Ross. Like he just takes over. He every time uh, Vince and Bobby start talking about something, he starts calling the match and starts talking about all these <laughs> making stuff up. I like I can imagine Vince was getting very heated about. Like this guy, like, he never shows up. There's a few up. times where Vince just reacted with complete silence. Right, so you had, who were the two hearts? Bruce and... Keith. <laughs> Bruce and Keith, right? Yeah, Bruce and Keith, who obviously were like trained wrestlers, but, but their father was Stu Hart, who was like one of the most famous wrestling trainers ever. Um, and the Hart family are one of the most famous wrestling families. You get these two guys, like they were rubbish, like, and they just looked totally lost um whenever they had anything to do and like i know we go back to this every week <laughs> like i don't know how many times we've said this but like how often does Bret Hart have to like go to the well in order to make a match just passable yeah well owen so the storyline here is it's so it's, an, it's survivor series elimination match and they're with the heart side of things they want to build it towards owen and brett so Owen, you know it's all about the family and Stu is there out sitting at the audience and like i said 20 hearts all around the place um but it's all about the fact that owen is going to get jealous of brett and he's always brett and he's always in brett's shadow 
and that that's where they're going with it but <laughs> but how they get there is uh is, is truly brilliant bobby heenan and vince are like that did okay if you're going to watch it back again this is why you should watch it like some of the lines that come out vince at one stage says to heart last wrestled in the boston garden in 1945 bobby heenan says it was 1845 and he was at the tail end of his, <laughs> and he was at the tail end of his career at the time <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bobby just randomly throwed in stuff like he goes to the family few guy he goes hey, you know the Hart family they're known as the cowards of Canada <laughs> just, <laughs> just totally burying them it's brilliant uh, what else is there uh, Ray says Bobby uh, that man Keith Ray says Bobby that man Keith Hart is a fireman he risks his life every day and Bobby says eating dinner in the Hart family is risking your life every day <laughs> but he's so quick he's so quick with it um, I, it's fantastic but the Bobby's match is, the yeah the match itself is not great whatsoever no. uh, at, one, at one stage Owen Hart does six arm drags in a row just nothing going on here if Owen, the match was 10 minutes long it might have been okay but it's not but it was nearly half an hour yeah it's 30 minutes it's over half an hour 30 minutes and 57 seconds um, but anyway so the match continues Owen pins the Black Knight the Family Feud guy actually his name is Ray I think uh, Ray goes we have a winner and Bobby has to explain to him that it's Survivor Series rules it's not over yet it's just another 25 <laughs> minutes to go anyway it comes down to four on one Hearts versus HBK uh, Owen gets taken out accidentally by Brett to set up the Brett Owen mania thing has he had enough? I don't know this can't... has he had enough? you spent 20 minutes with the Hart family I'd say you had counting him out and what? yes they're looking at the mother all right, ladies and gentlemen, something. Owen's coming back to help the Hart family celebrate. Nobody looks alike in the family. And yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, they are. <laughs> After 30 minutes of match, Shawn Michaels just leaves and it ends in a countout. And uh, yeah. Owen comes down, gives them a load of crap. Helen and Stu look despondent. But uh, what a, what a cluster you know <laughs> oh, ridiculous look I, I know it wasn't the planned direction I know there was a lot more heat in the um, the Brett Jerry the King thing that was happening at, at the yeah. same time but like an absolute cluster and I know like what came out of this was um, probably up to that point one of the greatest WWE matches of all time with uh, Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania mm-hmm. 10 uh, but like I had no idea that this is how they got there and it just makes that, like, the contrast between the start of the, the own Brett falling apart thing here at Survivor Series and their eventual classics throughout 94, just that comparison is just mind-boggling to me, you know? Yeah. Obviously, true in Sean, they're tagged Sean in here instead of Jerry Lawler because, again, mm-hmm. harking back on what we said already, they have unbelievable chemistry. Brett and Sean can go. They can call in the ring. They don't need any uh, any time they just get out there to do it and they put on a great match together uh we get to january and it's the royal rumble 94 and they two of them brett sean they're in the final four sean gets thrown out the rumble would end with luger and brett drawing but we wouldn't see these two guys like we'd see them crossing paths quite a bit but all roads lead to 1996 two years out Mm. um am i right you're saying that that we're going towards the iron man match I suppose what we do get is something very interesting at uh, WrestleMania 10 in itself where on, on the same card, and this in my mind, it kind of struck me as being a very important moment in that both matches were given five stars, which was very, very rare for WWF. Um, you had Bretton Owen in the opening match of WrestleMania 10, 
where mm. Owen actually beats Brett. And then you had later in the night, Shawn Michaels and Rez Ramon in that classic ladder match, mm. uh, which is also kind of regarded as, up to that point, one of the greatest WWF matches of all time. Then fine to finish the night out, Brett topples Yokozuna and, and claims that the title back for the baby faces. But what you kind of see there on that night is the, the absolute genius, I suppose, of both Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels is on full display at WrestleMania 10. And WrestleMania 10 to me had always been, I suppose, the, the transition point from Hulk Hogan to the, the new generation of Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Um, and what we were moving away from was the muscle men to the workers. I would be thinking that mid-90s WWF is going to be an absolute classic period of pro wrestling with both Brett and Sean at the top of the card. Yeah. I think they really missed the beat here of what they could have had versus what it turned out to be. But I yeah. suppose we'll, we'll develop that further as we, as we go along. Yeah, because their paths <clears throat> wouldn't really cross for, for a while. Um, obviously in 95, 95 mania, is that Diesel and Michaels? Diesel and Michaels, yeah. Um, yeah. So, the, so like the, Brett, Brett was doing his own thing. Michaels was doing his own thing. But it, we're heading towards the Ironman match. You know, this is really when they recross paths again. And that's the WrestleMania 96 match. When we started to gear up for WrestleMania, and then I was champion by this time. I'd won the belt from Kevin at Survivor Series. I can't help but feel, even now, when we look back on it, that I felt, and it might have added to the tensions between us, is that being the champion meant nothing. Um, I won the title from Kevin at Survivor Series, which was one of the best matches I ever had. And went on a few weeks later to work with Davey at the In Your House and had a great match with him. And I started trying to have great matches one after another with different guys. But as I felt as, as it was already sort of set, I already knew that it was me and Sean at WrestleMania, and I had no problem with that. But I felt that all the hard work I was doing didn't matter for anything. And that it was all about, they'd already had their champion and their star. It was just just a matter of me. You know, I was just carrying the belt for the sake of carrying it. And uh, You felt like a placeholder yeah. until it was time? I felt that I uh, wasn't getting, I thought I should get a little more respect. And that, um, that if this thing was being built the way it should be, we should have a lot more, um, it should mean something at WrestleMania, whereas instead of just me, I felt like I was just going to WrestleMania to go here, have you, this is yours, you know, see you later. And uh, that's not how it felt. And I thought that the matches I was having indicated that this can be bigger than that. And um, <clears throat> I was a little bit, um, I think that's where probably the underlying sort of tensions were starting to, to was, start. Was, was that angst based on? This is really, I suppose, a showcase of everything that went before. It's uh, Vince saying, here's the ball, run with it. You're going to take a full hour of WrestleMania and you're going to try keep the audience um, glued to uh, a match that potentially could be a total bore fest because obviously if it's a 60 minute match you know you don't have to watch the first 45 minutes this last 15 minutes that count but um that wouldn't be brett and sean you know they they like to tell a story and this match is fondly remembered by fans as being one of the all-time classics and the narrative would be you know that this is in the top three matches of all time in wwf wwe but i don't know looking back on it I was a little bit under, underwhelmed. Firstly, you're right. I 100% agree with you. I wouldn't put this in the top 50 matches. 
in WWE history, let alone wrestling history. There's just an inherent issue, and you kind of alluded to it there, with Ironman matches. Like, if you're going to go an hour, don't tell me beforehand. Don't tell me that the first 45 minutes or 50 minutes even doesn't really matter. And not only that, if you're going an hour, it's not just about the wrestlers in the ring. It's about the audience. It's about the commentators. The commentators have to be able to sustain that story for an hour as well. And I'm sorry, but Vince and Jerry the King aren't the people to do that. No. There was an absolutely tremendous moment around probably 35 minutes in where Shawn Michaels did a callback to Brett's IC title run, which we discussed on a previous podcast, where he used all the finishing moves of Brett's IC uh, title op- opponents. He used the perfect plex and he went straight into uh, the sleeper, sleeper from Roddy Piper. And there was absolutely no mention of that from Vince and Jerry the Kings. Like they didn't even know. Go they on. were barely watching. They were. Yeah, they were you talking know, they, about other random stuff. Yeah, they were just kind of mumbling along. Like it was actually kind of inaudible at times as well, which is very unusual for yeah. commentary. But you're right. And you know, like when I think of like hour long matches, right? And we, you know, they, <clears throat> it doesn't happen that often, right? But in, in the last few years, we had the uh, Omega and Okada one hour draw. And then we had their two out of three falls, I think went an hour and three minutes or an hour and six minutes. Mm. Now, the first one, we didn't know it was going to go to an hour draw. Uh, we knew it was going to go long, uh, but it went to the, to one hour draw. And I, I think that the fact that you're you're not thinking about the draw being a possibility, really, because it doesn't happen that often. Um, and it goes the hour. It's like, it's not, it's like you don't, you're not sitting down beforehand to watch one hour match. And obviously, you know, it's a different time and athleticism in not just wrestling, but in every sport has come along. So what Omega and Arcada were able to do was obviously at a higher pace or whatever than Sean and Brett. And then and the same in the, the fourth match between Omega and Arcada when, they did the two out of three falls and I went over the hour. They, they, to me, that didn't, it, it's not as daunting a, a watch or the fact that you know that the end can theoretically come at any time. Yeah. Um, you, you're kind of kept drawn along into certain moves and, and near falls mean more and maybe the setup for a sharpshooter means more or a one-winged one angel, the setup for it means more in, in those scenarios. And I just think that was a massive mistake in having it being an Ironman match. Because nobody even scored a fall for the hour. They could have just said that we're doing a one-hour time limit match and they draw, but there must be a winner. They would have achieved the exact same thing. Yeah, I think exactly. And I think when I say that it's uh, underwhelming, I I don't mean anything really against Brett and Sean. I think they did everything Mm. that they could. But the commentary... Yeah, I I agree with that as well, actually. Yeah, like I I think... The work in the ring, like from start to finish, was actually like everything about it. It was smooth. Well, it's it's it good, but good. It, yeah, but it's it's not. When you look back on it, it's harder to watch this type of match for an hour. Like that, this is like what you're saying about Omega Okada. The way it's just a far more exciting style to watch. You know, whether it's strong yeah, style sure, or whether sure. it's whether they're bumping around the place. You know, coming back to watch. You know, rest hold, rest hold, uh, DDT, uh, bulldog into the corner, top. You know second rope elbow drop mm. you know there it's great watching it back and watching you know you know brett is an unbelievable storyteller but it's just not as exciting 
so I yeah. think that that makes it more difficult to watch. Uh, but what you said about the crowd being dead, that's the problem. The weird sound quality on the network didn't help. The commentary is awful. So yeah, I don't think it's anywhere near as great a match as it seems to be historically held as. minute time limit has expired however this match has been ordered to continue Quite a few interesting things, um, which I only recently learned. I was always under the impression that at the end of the at the end of the match, when Sean uh, tells Brett to get out of the ring uh, for his moment, uh, I had thought that was a shoot, but actually turns out that was a work. Uh, yeah, that, that that surprised me as well, and I actually knew that from a few years ago, but I had forgotten about it. Yeah, so the match ends, for people who haven't seen this, this is Sean versus Brett, Ironman match, 60 minutes, whoever gets the most pinfalls win, ends uh, 0-0 after 60 minutes, and uh, Grilla Monsoon or somebody comes down and says that, look, this has to have a winner, so they go back in, Brett is a little bit peed that he has to go back and, and fight, Sean gets the win pretty quickly, I think after a minute, uh, Sean gets the one fall. That's it. Sean's boyhood dream comes true. He's the world champ. Brett leaves a little bit gutted. Um, but yeah, so as Brett is leaving, um, as Brett is still in the ring, Sean tells Brett apparently to get out of his ring uh, so he can have his moment. Uh, I understood that to be uh, something that created a bit of animosity between them. But apparently that was a work that they'd agreed that that would happen and they were building for a future storyline. Brett aimed to come back down the line after this as a face, but with slightly bitter or heelish um, characteristics when it came to Sean only. So there'd be kind of realism there. Uh, So they agreed to work that they hated each other. But unfortunately... Like happens, the old phrase, they worked themselves into a shoot. And yeah, I, I found this really interesting because um, one, of the, one of the more interesting stories I kind of I came across during the week was that uh, Bray had gone home. Uh, he'd, he'd been on the road for several years and he was taking some time off after WrestleMania 12. And uh, Owen rang him the next day and said, um, all the, the, the boys in the back, the wrestlers in the back, think there's legit heat between you mm. and Sean. And, Brett's response was great. Keep them thinking that. Yeah, uh, you know he he was planning for this. This is a real good chance to um to to make some more money with me and Sean and headline and pay per views down down the line when when he does come back from his kind of uh, his I suppose his holiday from from WWF. Yeah, I thought but, that was a really interesting story. But Brett, yeah, I suppose what Brett doesn't remember and that that's his story and that, that's obviously it seems logical, but. He kind of forgets that there's other guys as well. You know, it's not just always going to be Brett and Sean. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when Brett goes away for a while, there was always going to be a risk that Sean would get into different feuds with other people. And I think Sean 
gets tired of the fact that Brett never gives him the kudos. So Sean, I suppose, actively tries not to work with Brett, which, you know, creates problems. So the, you know, the agreed work that they hated each other turns into a shoot. And the danger of working shoots is that you'll start to hit real sore spots after a while. And Brett would call Sean a degenerate, which would bring about the formation of Degeneration X. So a truce was made between the two of them that they would work well together going forward. But Brett ended up screwing Sean going on too long in a promo. I don't know if you saw that. It was Monday Night Raw. What was supposed to happen was Sean was to super kick Brett while he was in a wheelchair or fall back into a wheelchair. And it was going to be a real iconic moment. But Brett fumbled his line over and over again. He was supposed to say something at the very end, which was you know going to be really on point. But fumbling his line over and over again, Sean then hit the super kick. Sean went backstage and I think Bruce Pritchard came up to him and said, hey, what, what was that about? And Sean's like, what do you mean? We got the, we did it. It's perfect. And Bruce goes, no, no, it went on too long. We didn't get the super kick on air. So it actually ended with Brett belittling Sean on Monday Night Raw live TV and Sean never got his comeback, which Sean felt Brett did on purpose. So the next week, then Sean would... Uh, call out Brett for his sunny days, inferring that uh, Sean, inferring that Brett on the road was having a secret affair with the uh, valet Sonny. Oh boy. And, uh, listen here, even though, even though lately you've had some sunny days, my friend, you still can't get the job done. The heartbreak kid coming off a knee injury, you coming off a knee injury, they're all handcuffed. And the the following week, Sean would say that Stu Hart is dead (laughs) when he wasn't dead at all. Um, No, no, he was alive and kicking. No, he was very much alive. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sean didn't respect Brett um, or the business really, and that infuriated Brett. Or at least he respected the business in a way that Brett couldn't understand. And uh, Vince would get involved. This is really the the clash of ideologies. Is what comes to the fore here. at this stage of 97, you know, um, the industry is starting to move it towards a more edgy prod- product, mm. particularly with NWO, NWO taking over WCW and WCW winning the ratings war 83 weeks in a row. And then, you know, Sean is, is trying to push Vince at the WWF to move in that direction. Uh, whereas Brett is still kind of a, a bit of a more of a traditionalist. Yeah. And, and Sean has said in interviews afterwards that he kind of, in a way, had began to resent Brett as being a, a dinosaur, um, which is something that him and him and Brett would have seen eye to eye on about previous generations. Uh, and Sean felt that that Brett was becoming one of those uh, older wrestlers who who lived in the past, whereas yeah. Brett, on the other hand, thought that Sean was disrespecting the business. Yeah. So things got yeah. So we're leading up towards uh, the Montreal Screwjob, famously Survivor Series, nineteen ninety seven, and uh, things are very muddy between Brett and Sean. But furthering the complications was the backstage stuff between Vince and Brett. And uh, what was complicated here is that Brett had signed a huge money contract with the WWF at the time, and Vince pretty much came up to Brett and said, "Times are tough." we can't afford this contract. I want you to sign for WCW. Or when Brett came along and said, there's a WCW offer, Finn said, take it. I can't match it. I can barely afford to keep you. And um, Brett would sign a contract with the WCW pretty much just because Vince wouldn't honor his verbal agreement on the new contract that did previously offer. Yeah, like the, the initial contract offer, 
uh, uh, Vincent offered Brett 20 million over 20 years. Yeah, and that um, Brett would like even throughout that 20 million would uh, transition into a backstage role uh, as he got too old to wrestle over those 20 years. And if you think of that, that would have like if he had signed out that contract, he would have been with WWE uh, until 2017. <laughs> which is madness when you think about it. Yeah. Um, um, but the, the further complication here is that Brett's contract would, so this is on a Sunday night pay-per-view, Brett's contract would expire that night, which would mean that he would be, if he was to win the match as champion, he would go into Monday Night Raw uncontracted with the WWF and technically he could do what he wants with the belt. And Vince could not afford to let Brett win on the Sunday pay-per-view to show up Monday potentially on WCW Nitro with the belt. Uh, Brett, mm. Brett, being an honourable man, promised that he wouldn't do that. But Vince, you know, had done this with Flair with the big gold belt and Medusa or Lundra Blaze had done it with the women's title on WCW famously and thrown into a trash can uh, live on Nitro. They'd and be- there's, a, there's actually another thing um, complicated yeah. as well is that uh, Brett had creative control over his character in the last 60 days of his contract. You know, Vince could write a storyline but Brett had to give the okay on it because he had that written into his contract that in the last 60 days he had the power uh, over his character. So he didn't have to agree to anything Vince came up with. Exactly. And Brett told Shawn Michaels backstage that he had been told that they'd be working together again at WrestleMania in uh, so into 98, which eventually would become the Stone Cold Shawn Michaels um, WrestleMania. And Shawn said back, oh, sorry, and Brett said, and I, I just want to tell you that I'll let you know. I'll do the job for you. I'm happy to put you over at that mania. I, I think that's good for business, and I just want to let you know that. And Sean said, "I appreciate that, but I just want you to know that I wouldn't do the same thing for you." And um, Brett had says that he has witnesses to this. I think it was uh, Ken Shamrock and Davy Boy Smith were there listening to it. So Brett says to himself, "Screw that guy." Vince says to Brett, uh, Brett, you're going to be dropping the title to Sean on in Montreal here. Brett says he'll drop the title to anybody anywhere but not to sean and not in canada because of what sean said the night before the pay-per-view wwe was in detroit because i remember at one time it was discussed of what if we brett drops the title in detroit to sean and right am i right on that one i said i even suggested what i had suggested to vince i said why don't i why don't we have the match in montreal and i'll drop the belt the following night in ottawa on Monday Night Raw, live. But he, that wasn't good enough. I said, I'll drop the belt there. I wanted to, I said, let me drop it to Steve. I said, but I'm not, I said, I want Sean to put me over first to prove to me that he has the respect for me to put me over. After what he said, it all came down to that remark about saying that he wouldn't put me over. Well, this whole thing's come down to a lot of respect. Heck, I've said it to Vince McMahon, for, what, but for whatever reason, I wanted the validation. Of the hitman. Yeah. This puts Vince in a pretty tight spot and um yeah hunter suggests that's triple h suggests if he doesn't want to do business we do business for him and uh of course that would lead to the montreal screw job and the thing is you know he says and i've always said it you know it's like it, it is like a mob hit and like and you're you know I, i'm i'm sammy the bull i'm sammy the bull of gravano and like on one hand you've got this you've got this rivalry but at the same time you know you know what you're doing is not an endearing act. I mean, I already knew people didn't like me. It's one thing to say it. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do it and also, and then to be the guy. And I can remember Vince, you know, don't worry, I'll take the heat. And it's like, dude, there's like, there's, you, you can take whatever you want. It's going to go on me. 
it was a great build to a match because right, the match was in Canada. Mm. You had Bret Hart was a national hero in Canada, but throughout that summer he had done great work, uh, or throughout that year and the previous year he had done great work as being uh, a face in Canada and a heel in the States. Yeah, so for people who don't, um, for, for, just sorry to interrupt you, for people who don't know uh, what you mean by that, Brett would be booed out of the building when he would fight in the US. But when he'd go over the border to Canada, he'd be cheered as if he was the a, a god. And yeah. it made for unbelievable TV because it was it was kind of must watch. You know, Brett was doing, he was what he was saying wasn't wrong. You know, he's calling the Americans, you know, war mongers and, uh, you know, hicks and you know yeah, all fast the kind food of, yeah jibes and yeah yeah all the kind of you know they were home truths basically but the can- canadian fans lapped it up and uh yeah. michael's then was obviously a degenerate uh face but the, you know like controversial the embodiment as well of the like the ignorant american he played up to it yeah i oh, absolutely played up for it and he was cheered by everybody uh in in america and then he'd go across the border and the canadians hated him and again he'd yeah. play up to that he'd be he'd be uh doing sexual positions on the canadian flag he'd be wiping his nose on the canadian flag he'd be mm. you know, whatever it took to to play up to the to the heelish nature it was um, and it was real edgy stuff as well like for 97 you know yeah uh, it's even well it's far more edgy than what's even happening today um but like I thought the build was great. You had a SummerSlam Bret Hart versus Undertaker with Shawn Michaels referee. And, yeah. and the real feud in that match was Shawn and Bret. And Shawn begrudgingly counts the pin for a Bret victory. Um, storms out of the ring afterwards. And then Shawn goes into his uh, Hell in a Cell program with uh, Undertaker the month before and has that match. Uh, he becomes the number one contender for Survivor Series for Bret's title. The, the lines between reality and fiction are completely blurred uh, and we go into this uh, main event uh, five years on from the first time the main evented survivor series and these guys really are at this stage the complete package you know they are um two of the greatest wrestlers in the world they're at the top of their game they're cemented main event level wrestlers uh, with years of experience in main events behind them yeah, in a good program with a lot of heat involved. Yeah, uh, and that's what the build up to the match. I just thought that everything was set up for an absolute banger of a main event. So Brett, the only reason Brett comes into this match with any kind of confidence that he's not going to be screwed because he says himself he was very suspicious that something was going to go down this night, mm. and he says the only reason that he backed himself to go out there and that something wouldn't happen is because the night before he asks Earl Hebner. Earl, is there anything planned? You know, are you reffing a match? Earl says, I'm reffing it. Yeah, and there's nothing. Brett, I promise. And uh, Brett would say Earl had tears in his eyes as he said this. He said, Brett, I would never do that to you. Trust me, there's nothing there. I wouldn't lie to you. But Earl was not told about this finish until five seconds before he goes out. Someone catches him in gorilla position, probably Vince, and says... Briscoe, I think it was. Yeah, or Briscoe says, this is what's happening. This is what you need to do. When Shawn Michaels locks on that sharpshooter, you're, you're going to call for the bell as if Brett tapped out. So Earl didn't know. And Earl is in a very... And Brett would say himself, Earl is in an incredibly difficult position. You know, he's obviously working for the WWF. He has to follow orders. And, uh, you know, that was what happened. So the match itself... So I'll tell you this, Niall, I have avoided this match for years. Uh, I watched it a few times when I was younger, maybe 
three or four times over the course since it actually happened. But in between all that, I've always watched the finish. I'd always skip the rest of the match for some reason. You know, if any screw job clip comes up, it's always the end. It's always the last moment. So I'd kind of avoided this. And when I was watching it back over the course of last week, I thought it was phenomenal. I forgot how good it is. The build-up is unbelievably tense. We talk about it the whole time. We bring it up every week on, on our podcast that a big fight feel. I've never, I don't remember another match in WWE history that had the big fight feel of this one. Oh, the so way good. they filmed them coming out of their dressing rooms. Yeah. Um, Sean they've is also walking got, out with Hunter. They've even got a real uh, kind of a, an, uh, kind of a background soundtrack with a real tense yes. feeling. It's like this kind of um, monotone. Yeah. Tap, 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 tap. It's really cool. So yeah, the backstage Hunter, China and Rude collect Sean from backstage. Yeah. Oh, it's deadly. Um, who comes, Bulldog and Jim. Who's it? Bulldog and Jim come with Brett and they, they don't even accompany them, accompany them to the ring. Yeah. They just walk them to the gorilla position. And like the camera lingers on them waiting for their music to hit and stuff. Really I just cool. thought like, and I know maybe, because I, I I wonder to myself, did I assign that tension to it afterwards, knowing what we now know? Um, but no, it was there. It was the production. It was just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And then you get into, I suppose, the pre-match brawl, which I haven't seen it. I think it might be one of the top five pre-match brawls in wrestling history. It okay, hold awesome. it. The brawl is amazing. But before we get to the brawl... Um, the, the, tense, the, tense, the intensity coming in is obviously because Brett has asked Bulldog and Jim, you know, keep an eye on this, make sure nothing happens. Yeah. Uh, but when they're coming out, one thing I'd never noticed before is that the ring announcements are all done in French, which is French so, blew my mind. It blew so, my mind. Yeah. yeah, it's so <laughs> cool. But it gives it such a big home match feel for Brett. Like the crowd are throwing water or beer or whatever it is on Michaels. They're throwing stuff at him. They're taking punches at him. He's getting in their faces. As you said, he's like humping the Canadian flag. He's just been the ultimate heel. And the yeah. crowd are like it's like a mosh firm. It's like a mosh it is, pit. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not like now where they're all sitting down. They're jumping around the place. They're jumping up to the barrier. You, like you said, yeah. When they're brawling, there's a couple of Canadian fans punching Michaels. They're trying to Punch reach over Michaels. and hit him. So, it's yeah. crazy. There's five, five referees, referees running yeah. around the place trying to keep it all together. It's, it's just insane. It's, uh, but it was just so good because it suited the feud. It's like these guys hadn't laid fingers on each other for so long and now it was just all unleashed and the fact that the that that tension was there the crowd heat was there the the best wrestling storylines are always when the lines of reality and fiction are blurred and that was well and truly i, I don't even know if you call them blurred anymore no. like it had everything the only thing that wasn't real about this is the fact that they still work a match together. Everything else is real. Like the, yeah, the feeling yeah, they have against each other. It's just that like they're... They so, laid it in stiff as well. Yeah, they did. The, the, so there's five referees running around. This is all the pre-match brawl. They're in and out of the crowd. Uh, tons of backstage guys as well. Like McMahon is there, Patterson, Briscoe, Slaughter, all trying to get him back to the ring so that the match can start. But... So cool. The brawl at the beginning is one of the best you'll ever see in wrestling. At one stage, Michael takes the time to insult some fans and the fans kind of get hot with him. And Michael spits yeah. on a fan. 
they just like just fat on a van. I saw that, and it wasn't it wasn't no ordinary spit. It was big and thick and white. Full on spit. In fairness to Michael's, like vicious for him to come out into this crowd took you know big balls as well. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, totally. Uh, just, so the, ma- the match is, is excellent, like you'd expect between the two. A little bit clunky at times because I'd say there's a bit of nervous tension between them both. But it ends with a ref bump. Sean rakes Brett's eyes and puts him into Brett's move, the sharpshooter. Like we said before, Earl Hebner, who'd been told just seconds before he came out by Vince that he was to ring the bell as soon as the sharp- sharpshooter's put on Brett, did just that. And Vince is also out there again, and he's calling for the bell as well. So Sean plays dumb. Brett's kind of holding on to Sean's leg and Brett finally realizes what's going on and kind of, as he would say himself later, his just the whole world fell apart for him. He couldn't believe that he was that he was duped like this, that he both fell yeah. for it, but also the betrayal of everything he'd done for Vince. Uh, Brett spits at Vince from the from the ring while Vince is there, Vince wipes it off. And they go off the air, but the fans are absolutely livid. The plan has worked. The Montreal screw job is a, is a success. Brett has been screwed. And Vince gotten the title off Brett. But look, I, I don't really want to dwell on the aftermath because, or the actual screw job itself, because you could analyze that. And it has been analyzed for over 20 years. Um, we know Vince punched him out backstage afterwards. It led to Brett, kind of a sorry, Brett revolt. Punched, Brett punched Vince. Punched Vince backstage afterwards, um, it led to a mini revolt from, I believe, Undertaker and Mick Foley, and you know, they, they got over it. I think Brett even told Mick Foley to go back to work. Um, yeah, just go through the aftermath in, 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 in bullet point fashion. So Vince, the following week, would have a, a Brett screwed Brett promo because Russo wanted to milk this. He said, we've got something hot here. Why are we going to sweep it under the carpet? Which they did on the first night, the Raw. But the following mm. week, we have the Brett screwed Brett promo. Seven days ago at the Survivor Series, did you or did you not screw Bret Hart? Some would say, I screwed Bret Hart. Bret Hart would definitely tell you, I screwed him. I look at it from a different standpoint. I look at it from the standpoint of the referee did not screw Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels certainly did not screw Bret Hart. Nor did Vince McMahon screw Bret Hart. I truly believe that Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. There's a time-honored tradition in the wrestling business that when someone is leaving, that they show the right amount of respect to the WWF superstars in this case, who helped make you that superstar. You show the proper respect to the organization that helped you become who you are today. It's a time-honored tradition, and Bret Hart didn't want to honor that tradition. And that's something I would have never, ever expected from Brett because he is known somewhat as a traditionalist in this business. It would have never crossed my mind that Brett would not have wanted to show the right amount of respect to the superstars who, make, who helped make him and the organization who helped make him what he is today. Nonetheless, that was Brett's decision. Brett screwed Brett. Sean had gone to fight Austin at Mania in 98 before disappearing himself for a few years, become a born-again Christian. Brett would go to WCW, and WCW would absolutely botch Brett's debut, and he'd lose all his momentum, and he'd eventually get... Probably the biggest botch in wrestling history. You had the hottest star in the world coming off being screwed, right? And they bring him in, and his debut promo is they're offering him a special guest referee spot. Yeah. 
Terrible. Horrific stuff. Brett would go on to, uh, he wouldn't have too many matches in WCW. He would eventually get concussed in a match against Goldberg in a match where Brett, the one thing he said to Goldberg coming out in the match was, look, we'll have a match. Just don't hurt me. Uh, Within 30 seconds of the match, Goldberg puts up a kick and smacks Brett right in the head, right inside of the head, and Brett gets concussed badly. He'd have a bike crash uh, a little bit later, and he'd have a uh, debilitating stroke, which would force him into retirement. You know, if you're and if you're looking at their their careers or their personas and the parallels, Sean changed for the better. Brett, everything went wrong for him. Own heart would die tragically. Sean would return to WWE later on. He'd have a swan song with some of his greatest career moments. Some of the final and his final two many matches against Undertaker would be two of the best matches of all time. But Brett, mm-hmm. you know, his brother dies. He gets concussed. He gets a stroke. He has to retire. He ends up in WCW where he hated it. And then his legacy is somewhat never spoken about because he's fallen out with Vince and the WWE and they control the, the Hall of Fame. And yeah. Yes, it leads to um, a dramatic reconciliation between, between Vince and Brett in 2006. Uh, Brett goes into the Hall of Fame. Um, and I believe it stemmed from a phone call that Vince made to Brett uh, while, while Brett was in the hospital recovering from his, his stroke. He just plugged his phone in, his phone rang. He didn't see whatever number popped up and he answered it was Vince on the other end. I believe they had a a very emotional phone call. Um, And, you know, we often bash Vince here. And I think deep down, though, Vince does care for a lot of of the wrestlers who had kind of been loyal to him over the years. You see in the the recent um, Undertaker documentary that the love and care he has for Undertaker as well. So it kind of is nice to see, despite everything that went on, uh, Brett and Vince come to some form of reconciliation in the end, considering yeah. everything that Brett had been through in, in, I suppose, that kind of, that 10 to 15 year spell after Montreal. Yeah. So Brett would eventually get to the Hall of Fame and he would make a comeback famously in the WWE in 2009, uh, where him and Sean would, uh, would reconcile right in the middle of the ring. They would hug it out and they have become friends because Sean is a different man, apparently, compared to what he was in the 90s. He's um, he has made uh, atonement for his sins and he's supposedly a really, really nice guy to deal with. And even Brett would say that it's a different guy. And Brett would also admit a little bit of fault in his own attitude and personality and, you know, potentially fueled Mm. what what would become um, one of the biggest rivalries in the WWE history. The fact that Vince had Sean and Brett, and this is just for us, people like me and you, in a, a mm. historical perspective. When we look back, 
what did we get to look back on? We got to look back on the 92 match, which was really good. Yeah. We got the Ironman match, which was, frankly, a bit underwhelming. Yeah. And then we got a half a great match. You had yeah. the two best wrestlers, or two of the best wrestlers in the world, in your promotion at the same time for five, six years, or three or four years, and that's all we got. I just yeah. think it's such a shame from a historical point of view. It's almost like that... 15, 20 minutes we got in Survivor Series 97 before the screw job finish. Yeah. Opened my eyes to what, like, you could have had, the potential you could have had three massive main event matches that were utter classics between yeah. two, like, bona fide all-time greats. You know, the two of them are incredible wrestlers. And I just think what we have is not enough, really. Um yeah, not, because, not enough from a fan point of view. Because we know they have, we know that we we know they have chemistry. We know Brett and Austin had one of the all-time classics at WrestleMania. We yeah. know Shawn Michaels and Undertaker had one of the all-time classics at WrestleMania. So, you know, why has a Brett Shawn Michaels match? Why is it not spoken about in the top three? I guess the Ironman match is, but as you and I have said, I think people need to go back and watch that match again. You know, sit down for the hour. I don't think you're going to have a great hour. Nobody's uh, going to do that. No, Honestly, no. nobody's going to sit down for that hour. No, I don't think so. Um, Speaking of 60-minute Ironman matches, I think our time is up here and I think that uh, we have hit our TV time remaining. Draw again um we have one more episode in season one to complete that is our episode 10 and we have something very special coming up so stay tuned for that niall fantastic great speech again best luck with the kidney stones we'll talk to you next week (laughs) thank you good luck